0: Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show Podcast. On this episode, we talk to Eric Erlinson, who covers the Tampa Bay Lightning for lightninginsider.com, because they're in the Stanley Cup Final for the third straight year. Incredible. We'll talk about how they got here and how they match up with the Avalanche Plus. Julio Caravada, Lions radio analyst on the BC Lions home opener. Over 34,000 people were there as they crushed the Elks. What was it like to be in that environment, and are they actually that good? Coming up on the podcast. Just over 48 hours from now, we will be looking at the start of the Stanley Cup final in Denver, Colorado. The Avalanche have been waiting for a week to find out who they're going to be playing, and we found out Saturday night that it would be the Tampa Bay Lightning into the final for the third straight year. And here to talk about that team's quest for a 3 Pete is Eric Erlinson, lightninginsider.com. Eric, welcome to the show.
1: Christian, thanks for having me, man. How are things?
0: Things are well. How are things down in Tampa as they look to become the first three-time uh, consecutive champion since the early 80s? Yeah, it's
1: uh, it's incredible that we're having this conversation right now. You think of the amount of hockey that this team has played, the amount of games that they've played. You know, going back to the start of the, the bubble playoffs in August of 2020, you know, two cups in 282 days and then come back and play a full, you know, uh, 82-game season and then fight their way through the Leafs and find a way to shut down the Panthers and rally from down 2 nothing against the Rangers. It's, um, it's an incredible story. Uh, you know We're, we're going to talk about this run for a long time, no matter what happens in this series. And the window's not closed. Anytime you've got a guy like Andre Vazalewski in that, you're going to have a chance to win uh, you know, games and championships with, with the way that he can play. So, yeah, an incredible story that's uh, still being written for sure.
0: So let's talk about the series that just concluded. Down two nothing to the Rangers, down two nothing in game 3. At any point did you doubt that the Lightning would come back to win that series?
1: Uh I'll tell you what, I, I doubted they could come back when they gave up two goals to the least in the end of the second period of game 6. <laughs> so I don't know how you can doubt this team in any situation, you know. I, I mean, look, they looked yeah, you know, the Rangers had their number coming straight out of that series against Carolina and and the lighting had had that rest and it certainly showed in the difference in the first two games, you know, but I just, just watching this team the last couple of years, like it would be easy, like the easy way out is to say, all right, this is not our year. We've got our two cups, the Rangers, they're just too quick for us right now. They have our number, but they just, they just find a way to dig down and battle. And uh, so I did not doubt that they could come back in that game against the Rangers. It was only two goals. It was still midway through the second You know with the firepower that they have you know if they could get a power play which they did right after the rangers took a two nothing lead, kucherov answers it now it's just a one goal game um and and you just you just felt when stamkos tied that game early in the in the third period that they were going to win the game you know and the way they were playing that was the game they ended up with 52 shots on goal uh, against igor shesterkin and um you know it took literally almost the full 60 minutes but they got that win and they found the recipe and you know, they just rolled that all the way to uh, the end of the series there. So I, I don't know how anybody can doubt anything about this team right now with, with how they've played because they've earned. They have You know, you earn your, your Stanley Cup, obviously, but they've earned everything that they have gotten here in the last two-plus playoff runs.
0: This is a team that has – just about everybody back from last year's team with a couple exceptions deeper down the lineup, like Yanni Gordon and Barclay Goodrow. But all the big names are there, except Braden point hasn't played since game seven of round one. The team won two rounds without one of their best playoff performers from this Mm -hmm. great run. They've had since the start of 2020. Is he going to be ready for the Stanley cup final?
1: It, It sounds like he's got a really good chance to play at some point in this series. I don't know if it'll be Wednesday for Game One. Today was the first day he practiced. He went through a full practice with the team. and took line rushes and every drill he was a part of. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a, a fast pace practice. It was it was fast, but it wasn't. They didn't really push the pace uh, like they normally do at times. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if that's any indication whether or not that means he's ready for Game One. I would look more at game two, potentially, because, you know, there were whispers that he was going to return at some point in the Ranger series. I think if we're talking about a game seven in that series coming tomorrow night, he's probably in the lineup for that. But with the extra day off between games one and two, I can see them saying, you know, just give it a couple more days rest and, you know, adjust yourself to everything and maybe get up to the speed that as close as you can after being off for a month. Uh, But either way, I I think there's a really good chance that we're
0: going to see Braden Point
1: in this series and probably early in the series, not as opposed to later.
0: In that opening round series with the Maple Leafs, Andre Vasilevsky wasn't great. He wasn't the Vasilevsky we'd been used to seeing. He gave up a lot of goals. He got pulled in that series. But when push came to shove, he ends up being great in Game 7. And his incredible series-clinching numbers continue. as he has a 1.28 goals against average in series-clinching games since 2020. And that obviously continued in uh, in Game 6 on Saturday night. What, can you, what more is there really to say about Vasilevsky, and how important is that in giving them an edge over an Avalanche team that in net has some questions?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I've said this about Vasilevsky before. You know, sometimes what's the old saying that a a picture's worth a thousand words. Um, Andre Vasilevsky's picture is worth a hundred thousand words and they're harder to find with each paragraph that he's writing because he's just an incredible talent. He's incredibly focused um, his ability to rise up to the occasions. I mean, the, the game four victory against Florida. I mean, the lightning had no right to win that game. Give up 49 shots and with the firepower that the, the Panthers have and, you know, by that, by that point, maybe he was in their head a little bit because they're trying to be too fine with some of the shots. We know that happens. Um, but, yeah, he there is not a series that guy goes into in the postseason that he doesn't have the advantage. You know, that includes last series against Shosturkin, and Shosturkin was great. I mean, he was great in game six. I mean, that game could have been easily 5 nothing after the first period if not for, uh, for Um So, yeah, he gives them a big edge in net no matter which team they play and his ability to – zero in and not let the noise affect him. You know, and, and I've had conversations with him in the past. He gives such a, a ton of credit to a guy like Ben Bishop, who led Tampa Bay to the cup final in 2015. Remember he had that shutout in game five in Madison Square Garden, shut out the Rangers again in game seven in Madison Square Garden in that series. The ability to put stuff behind you quickly is a skill that goalies have to learn. And it took him a while to figure that out, too. You know, he didn't look good in game seven against the Capitals in 2018. Like the rest of the team, nobody looked good against Columbus in 2019. But he's come back with every game that he plays. He just has that focus. And it didn't start off well for him in that series against Toronto. Uh, You gave up three goals per game through the first six. But when it came time to close the door, he closed the door. And he's not let anybody open it up since.
0: Do you think Andre Pilat has flown under the radar these last couple postseasons?
1: Uh, how about his entire 11-year career here? <laughs> yeah. he's, uh, you know, you, you think of, when you think of the Lightning, who do you think of? Well, it's Tyler Johnson, it's Nikita Kucherov, it's Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman, Alex Kilmore, and, you know, Ryan McDonough. You're you're getting down about 10 deep when you get to Andre Pilat And then you look at his numbers and you realize, holy cow, he's been really good for a long time for this team, and he loves it that way. He doesn't want the spotlight. He'll leave that for other guys. But his game never goes unnoticed by his teammates, and those of us fortunate enough to watch this team play on a nightly basis and you realize the importance that he brings no matter what line he's on, He's just – he's a jack of all trades. You need somebody to shut it down defensively, you can throw him out there. You need somebody late in the game to score your goal, he's going to be out there. You need somebody – he doesn't kill penalties anymore, but he used to earlier in his career. He's out of the power play. There's just so many big moments in this franchise's playoff history since he's been here. And it doesn't seem like he's been in the middle of it, but he's been in the middle of almost all of it. There's a reason why he leads the franchise with 11 career game-winning goals in the postseason, which is actually third – among active players. Um, and anybody will tell you, you ask the coaching staff about him, you ask the players about him, everybody wants an Andre Pilat on their line because he does a lot of the, the little things that don't show up on a score sheet too often, but then when he does show up on the score sheet, there's probably a big meaning behind it or a big moment in the game behind it. And, uh, yeah, he, he is definitely gets overlooked quite a bit uh, with what he's meant for this team you know, through their championship runs and you know, through the success they've had the last decade.
0: So the Panthers were a team that scored a ton of goals in the regular season and the Lightning just completely clamped them, three goals in four games allowed. Looking ahead now to the Stanley Cup final against the Colorado team that scores a ton of goals as well. We saw they could play defense a little bit in the Edmonton series as they swept the Oilers. How do you think the Lightning stack up against the team with the best regular season record the last few seasons?
1: It's going to be the biggest challenge they've faced through all these playoff series they've had. Uh, but, you know, they, they have more dynamic players than the Panthers. I think the Panthers were deeper from, you know, 1 to 12 on their lineup. But when you've got a guy like McCarr who can carry the puck and back off, you know, uh, defenders the way Connor McDavid can back off defenders, the way Nathan McKinnon can back off defenders, that changes the way you have to approach slowing down. I mean, the Panthers had nobody like that on the back end. Uh, and honestly, nobody in the league has anybody like that on the back end. Uh, but, you know, that's a different style, a different way of trying to defend against them. Um, you know, you have, but you have to find a way to slow them down. Um, you can you can get goals, we, and we don't know. We assume Darcy Kemper is going to play, but, you know, it could be uh, Pavel Frensos. Uh, so either way, the Lightning feel comfortable that they can score some goals in this series. It's going to be a question of whether or not they can prevent the Avalanche from using their speed game and, You know, their speed game is different than, say, a Florida because of the straight-line speed they come at you with. Florida likes to weave and dance and and move pucks around. They're so good at that, especially right around the blue line uh, where Colorado will just attack you with their speed. So it's a lot of a different type of approach you have to do it. But the way that this team, this lighting team, is defended in this postseason, it might take a game, a game and a half, to figure out how to slow down Colorado. I think they can find a way to slow down Colorado. It's just going to be a, a question of whether or not they can prevent those big moments. You know, that big McKinnon rush up the ice end to end, or the big McCarr rush up the ice end to end. That's where you have you can't give them time and space to get, you know, their feet moving. Um, and that's going to there's going to be a big battle from the red line to the blue line. How much can Tampa Bay slow down that Colorado attack in the series?
0: So we haven't seen a team win three straight Stanley Cups since the Islanders in the early '80s. Obviously, these are Three completely different post-seasons, right? The first one in a bubble. The second one, they end up playing Montreal in the final, which is (laughs) something that we'll never see again. Like an East versus an East. That was such a, a weird thing here. And of course, Montreal went through Winnipeg to get there last year. And then this year's normal, right? They get to the final under normal circumstances, the normal setup, and they end up taking on Colorado starting on Wednesday night. Is, is the feeling going into this series different in Tampa Bay just because it has kind of been a more normal season and postseason?
1: Honestly, I don't think it matters, you know, because every team is in the same situation. I right? like how many people want to put an asterisk on the 2020 Stanley Cup championship. Well, all every other team had the opportunity, you know, especially with the expanded field to get there. Uh, and Tampa Bay was the one that came out on top. It's the same thing last year. So I think it's a different feeling. I don't think there's anything that you can look at and say, well, there's special circumstances. They're not real cups. This is the only one that really matters. It, it really doesn't because every team factors into the same situation. I, I guess the only thing that maybe feels different this year is that you've had fans at every game, right? Like the sellout streak here at Amelie Arena has continued from game one right on into you know game six, whatever we're at now, 110 games, whatever the Lightning are at uh, on the season. It's, it's the fan involvement. The fans are back in. The buildings are so loud. Maybe that's the only difference. You go on the road, it's not you know 500 people like it was in Montreal for the Stanley Cup final last year. Maybe that's the only different aspect of it, but from a, a pure hockey and going for the Cup standpoint, it doesn't matter. The same goal is always there. It's to beat every other team and come home with the Cup.
0: And so I'll get you out of here on this. If you were to make a prediction, I don't know if that's your thing or not, but would you put – the, the chips on the avalanche, or would you put them on the lightning here?
1: I am so bad at this, and this is why I don't bet. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: um, look, I mean, Colorado is the favorite for a reason. Um, you know, they raced through the Western Conference, uh, only two losses to this point in the postseason. Um, they're on a mission, right? I go back to that Nathan McKinnon uh, press conference when they got knocked out by Vegas last year. You know, there's. I'm sick and tired of losing, and, and you can see that. You can see that in his play. You can see how others on that team have followed behind him. Uh, injuries are going to be a question mark. You know, what's the status of Nazem Kadri, uh, Andrew Cagliano? I assume that uh, Samuel Girard is still out. What's going on with the goaltending? Those always factor into these things. But I know Colorado is the heavy favorite. Um, but again, as we talked about at the top, it's it's hard to count out until you knock this this Lightning team off. It's hard to count them out in any situation. Uh, I can see the series going either way, um, but I, the experience factor sometimes comes in if that's the case. If the Lightning can play defense the way they have through most of this postseason right now, I think they can find a way to you know, slow down Colorado enough to win the series.
0: Well, Eric, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for the insight, and enjoy the, the final here for the third year in a row.
1: Yeah, it'll be fun. This is the first one we can travel to because the other one was in a bubble in Montreal last year with the travel restrictions, so we actually get to go on the road from the media standpoint this time.
0: Well, have have a good time. Thanks for coming on. All
1: right. Thanks, Christian.
0: The BC Lions opened their 2022 campaign with an exclamation point, pounding the Elks 59-15 in front of a raucous crowd at BC Place on Saturday. Over 34,000 people were there. The first time since 2014, more than 30,000 people went to a Lions game in BC. So what was it like to be there? Let's find out from Julio Caravada, longtime radio analyst for the Lions, Julio, take me back to Saturday night. What was it like to be there? And when was the last time the building had that much energy?
2: Oh, wow. Um, well, I, I can't remember. It has to be back when I think Travis Lule was, you know, the starting quarterback with probably 2011 sometime in there that they had a crowd like that. But I can't remember the last time an opener was like that. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just, it was, it was just really just, it was something to see really for, for all of us who are here, you know, all the time and are around the football team. Um, it's just been a long, long time since I've, you know, go down, go down, gone down to the stadium and seen that kind of crowd and that kind of atmosphere and then walking into the stadium and, and really just feeling an energy that you just haven't felt before. Um, and, you know, you, when you really start to think about it, and I've, you know, obviously if everyone's talking about it still here. You think about, uh, You know, I just think a lot of the people that I know over in in the organization and how, you know, how long and how tough it's been over the last couple of years for everybody. um, But the the amount of time and energy that's gone into all of the planning and having the ideas and having all those things come through. um, And then, you know, having the success that they did was just, it was something that uh, I don't think anybody really predicted, but um, it was really, really fantastic to be a part of.
0: So how do you explain this sudden juice in the, in the city is it because of the new management
2: yeah well I I think you know obviously Amar Doman needs to take a lot of credit you know it's when he took over last year um he I think you know took a back seat a little bit and kind of watched and and learned and got to know the lay of the land and you know in the off season, I think he had an idea of what he wanted to try to do and um you know he's you know he he, he started to implement it right and obviously you know he wanted to get some young people out there. He wanted to create a buzz. And, and, you know, when he announced that it was one Republic, you know, I know in my case, you know, I've got two teenage daughters and, you know, automatically they wanted to go and they wanted to bring friends. Right. So, um, you know, I think there was a lot of, there was a lot of draw there. So, you know, and I think, you know, he did a great job of, of marketing tickets. Like I think you, you, know, you can get tickets for, if you're an adult for 25 bucks and, and you can bring your kid for 10, if it's under eight, if under 18, like, you know, you think about that, you know, family of four going to a professional event for 70 bucks. Right. That's, that's, you know, that's just something that, um, you know, and and times are tough, right. I don't have to tell anybody, you know, I mean, for everybody it's been, it's been difficult, you know, given all the inflation and the cost of groceries, the cost of gas, cost of everything uh, to be able to go out and, and get some entertainment for like, for that cost is, is something that you just don't see very often. So, um, yeah, so all that stuff combined with the fact that, you know, the team's performance was off the charts, right? Like, you know, and I just I'm remember thinking to myself, because this is, over the last few years, it's it's kind of happened where the Lions have had a chance to maybe gain a little bit of momentum, right? Uh, they've won a couple of games in the road, and all of a sudden you come home, and you get a chance to play somebody and, and gain some traction, and, and then they lay an egg, right? The, and so I kept on thinking about, oh, all this all this hype, all this stuff going on outside the stadium, and you know when these fans stay for the game, I hope that they don't lay an egg. And uh, that was far from the case; they were, they were pretty much flawless the entire night.
0: So they hang fifty-nine points on an Elks team that I think a lot of us agree is probably the worst team in the CFL going into the year. I don't know if we think they're this bad, giving up fifty-nine points, forty-two points in the first half alone to the Lions. Yeah. Do you think the Lions are that good or the Elks are that bad? Is it somewhere in between?
2: Okay. I think it's somewhere in between. Um, you know, sometimes when you play well, um, you have to give yourself credit, right? Like sometimes, you know, you're just better. Um, and especially on that on, on any given day, whenever you play, right? Like that—that's that's the beauty of sports. You just don't know what you're going to get. And I think in the Lions case, and I think especially in Nathan Rourke's case, you know, um, he was just very well prepared. Like I think defensively, sure, they, they, you know, they didn't maybe um, play as well as they wanted to play, but, you know, there was a number of times where they had, you know, free defenders coming off of an edge or, and he just made the right read. Like he was getting rid of the football and, 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 and putting it in the right hands and um, you know, they just, they just executed at a level. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, maybe Chris Jones's defense is something I was a little surprised at, you know, they were able to do that on him because, you know, he's been around the league. He understands the league. You know, he he always seems to be very, very, you know, good, especially on defense. And for them to be that unprepared or, or to be taken advantage of like that was surprising for everybody. But I don't, I don't think that um, that's, you know, that's the Edmonton you're going to see every week. I, I would be shocked. Um, uh, so I'm going to wait and hold judgment on, on the Elks and, and give him a couple more weeks to see, before I finally make a a judgment. But um, like I said, it's been a long time since I've seen a Lions offense and we've had our share of good ones here um, execute like that um, over a game.
0: On the note of waiting for judgment, I think obviously too soon to say if Nathan Rourke's going to be a success in the CFL, had one really great game in the opener here. How awesome would it be though if a Canadian quarterback (laughs) were to lead a CFL team to success?
2: Yeah. Oh, well, I well, I think it would be fantastic. Um, you know, Nathan. Um, you know, Nathan when he got here, I think there was obviously you know the success that he had had at the collegiate level at Ohio University was was well documented. You know, he was a two time John Cornish Award winner. Um, he played in you know he played in the Mid America Conference, which is is which is some very good football. And I think everyone was wondering, hey, can this kid translate it into the pros? And so. You know, when I think back to his his rise, like, you know, last year was very unique for him because he was a rookie Um, and they came off the, you know, with all the COVID and stuff. He really got an opportunity to learn that offense. And then when he got to training camp, Mike Riley got hurt. And basically for right through training camp and into the regular season, I think almost six or seven weeks of the regular season last year, that's it was still shortened, but still a long time. He, he ran, the, he was the first team quarterback, you know, Mike Riley would, wouldn't take a snap all week and then he would, you know, he'd get his arms shot up and, and would go out there and play. But Nathan was the one taking all the snaps. So, you know, he, he really showed the organization that he was ready. Now, you know, um, you know, to your, to your question about, you know, would, how great it would be, it would be fantastic because I think there's a number of us, um, and obviously I got a soft spot for this, but. There's a lot of people that want to see it. You know, they want to see if 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 it's possible and given, uh, you know, giving a guy a legitimate chance to be the starting quarterback and and you know we're not talking about giving him a half or a quarter or one game. We're talking about giving him a substantial chance to see what he can do. And Nathan, to this point, you got to remember he started that game against Edmonton last year and did very well. And then he did this to start off the season. So um, everything that he does. Um, shows me that, you know, he's going to be successful and, um, it'll be fantastic for the league that, that, you know, that, uh, you know, they can showcase that and, and, uh, people across the league can be excited about coming to a Lions game when they get to their city and, and seeing a Canadian perform on the field at quarterback.
0: Now, for those who don't know, you are a Canadian that played quarterback in the <laughs> CFL. Yeah. What were the conversations yes. like in the nineties when, when you were playing in terms of Canadians at that position?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I'll be very honest with you. I, I think one of the things that now that I'm older and I see it for what it is, and you know, even for my like, just putting myself, like, I can honestly tell you that from a physical standpoint, I was as as you know as good as anybody, right? I had a good arm, you know. I was I was you know I, I could move around uh, uh, you know okay, like I wasn't a, a sprinter, but I you know I had very decent mobility. But what were were the difference is this? and i think for some of the other guys like larry Justan, it's not that i want to speak for them but um but i will say that it was the mental part of the game that where i really was behind in the preparation and understanding how to read a defense and how to get ready for a game you know what i mean if i told you that i didn't really get taught how to read a defense and break down film until i got to the professional level and so that was that was the that was the case in, for me and so I was behind the eight ball right from the beginning. Now, like I said, I could throw with it, but it's, it's the preparation. It's being in the game and being in those moments that uh, I just, I lack that experience. And I think in, in Nathan's part, he's been very, very well coached. And I think it speaks to the grassroots level of football across the country um, because we can see it in the draft and we can see it in the amount of kids that are now going down to the NCAA and playing very, very high level football is that the grass level coaching here and development is getting much, much better. And, and it's, and you're seeing it now at the quarterback position, look at Trey Ford, look at Michael O'Connor, all those kids now are, are getting, you know, are they're getting first class, um, uh, you know, uh, coaching and it's now translating, right? So hopefully this is the beginning that uh, people will believe that if, if a Canadian kid comes out of college, that he's going to be prepared at the next level. And, um, uh, I think it's really, really exciting, and I think it gives kids a, a you know, great amount of hope that, uh, you know, uh, that they they can someday, you know, say that if I'm a Canadian quarterback, that I could I've got a chance to go out and, and and play.
0: And maybe the difference is that Nathan Rourke played in the NCAA, and we haven't seen yeah. a ton of Canadians at that position go down yeah. and excel and so that is a testament to getting him ready to the point where he can go and yeah. succeed in the NCAA yeah. Yeah. but we have we're still kind of waiting for like a u-sport star to break through in the CFL quarterback right yes
2: yeah and I think that that's again like uh like Trey Ford and and Michael O'Connor are both right sitting on the edge of that right um I think you know, having seen him that was the first time I've really seen him in person and I can say that you know he's a guy that He's got tremendous, a, tremendous athletic ability, but he—you can tell, like you know—when he got into a, he got into the game. His first read, he made it, and then if it wasn't there, then he was out of the pocket, right? He was trying to make something happen with his feet, and that's the tendency of young quarterback. And I'm not just saying that about a Canadian quarterback or a U Sports quarterback. It's a lot of times, a lot of quarterbacks that come up here, their initial, that's their initial, um, reaction, and so you know um again I, I just think that th- these kids are coming in more and more prepared and i think too like it's the coaching right like when i was when I, when i was in the 90s like you the coaches just didn't believe a canadian could play the position and, and you and like i said if if i got if i got a chance to play i got you know maybe a half or if i got into a game in a quarter or I, if i did start a game you know and i did start a couple of games you know if i did well Then people were like, yeah, well, you know, yeah, but, you know, they just, they just weren't going to give me that, that opportunity to have three or four games or five games to really kind of show what I could do. Right. And, and I knew that, like, I knew, and like, I just knew having conversations and hearing coaches that I knew that I wasn't going to get that chance. Like, and so it's tough when you go in and, and play a half or you get in because of injury, you know, that every, every throw is being scrutinized. And, and if you make a mistake, then you can look over and see a guy warming up right away because, you know, if you threw an interception, holy cow, it was, it was like you, you knew, you know, that was it. That was the only mistake you were allowed. And that's not, you can't play the position like that.
0: Let's double back to the lions here. Mm -hmm. They have this gigantic energy opening game and now they got Mm -hmm. to sit on it for a week because there are nine teams in the (laughs) CFL and someone has to have a bye. It happens to be them. Is that kind of a bummer?
2: Uh, yes and no, obviously it would have, it, you know, it, um, it gives them, um, you know, a little bit of a break given like train with training camp and all that stuff happening. Like I can see the week is, is, is going to help them physically, um, to rest a little bit. Um, but you're right, you know, given the momentum that they gained out of that, out of that game, um, it would have been great to see them play again this week and how much they could have capitalized on that. But having said that, I still think that, you know, Amar Doman and Rick Lalashur and the rest of them down there are probably now being able to maybe game plan a little bit bit better to say, hey, listen, what else can we do now? This is what we had planned. Is there something else we might be able to do now to maybe, you know, build off of this momentum? So it can work both ways, right? You know, you're hurt a little bit because you don't get a chance to go out and and capitalize on that. But at the same time, hey, maybe there's something else that we can do that's really going to attract more kids or or do some more things and uh, um, it's going to be exciting now to see the buzz over the next couple of weeks, uh, um, you know, heading into the Toronto game about what they can do and, 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 you know, if they can really feed off the energy of, of the city and, 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 and most importantly, going out and, 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 trying to replicate, are you going to do that every week? No, but just going out and playing good entertaining football so that the fans when they come, they feel like they've got their money's worth and are, are, are excited about coming back. And that's something that the Lions haven't been able to do.
0: Well, Julia, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this. Uh, enjoy the season. I'm sure we'll be checking in a few more times before it's all said and done.
2: Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Anytime.
0: Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again.
2: our intellect which might explain our disrespect for all the matter